morning. This morning, I want to talk about biblical characters with a weight problem. That's right. And there was a number of biblical characters with a weight problem. Now, I'm not talking about like the Moabite king, King Eglon, whom we read about in Judges chapter 3, verses 15 through 30, who had a weight problem of massive proportions, so much so that when Ehud stuck the foot and a half long dagger into him that the fat just rolled over the whole blade. I'm not talking about that kind of weight whatsoever. What I'm talking about is biblical characters with a W-A-I-T problem. In fact, that is the title of this morning's lesson. I want to take a look at some of those who were told by God that they must wait and didn't. And talk about some of those who were told not to wait seem to want to, but then I want to look at at least one in particular who had, didn't have a weight problem with God at all, didn't have any kind, it doesn't seem, from what he wrote, to have any weight problem with God at all and see how incredibly blessed at least one was like that. I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles first off this morning to the book of Exodus chapter 24. I want to briefly discuss, and, and most of these will be familiar, but I want to briefly discuss two very similar examples of those with a bad weight problem. The weight problem, the first of those two similar examples is found in Exodus chapter 24, beginning at verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Wait for us here till we come back to you. Wait. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain to the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days, forty nights. We know the people had a weight problem because it tells us in Exodus 32 and verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Moses very clearly said, wait till I come back. They very clearly said, hey, we can't wait, although that's not exactly what it says, but they were getting impatient and anxious and, and they didn't even know where he'd gone and, and, and you can see that. A second very similar but familiar one is obviously the one that we talk about a lot with King Saul, chronicled in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, King Saul is told by Samuel, You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. 
seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you should do. Couldn't be clearer. Seven days you shall wait until I come. He's going to come on the seventh day. He'll be there. He says, that's what you need to do. But as we know from this story later on, when the going got tough, and sometimes it's tough to wait. We're going to talk about that. But when the going got tough and the circumstances became difficult and the people were scattering from him, King Saul decided that instead of waiting, as he'd been told to do by the man of God, that he would take matters into his own hands. He would look to see what was going on around him. He would take into account how he felt about what he saw going on around him. And instead of walking by faith and waiting, he took matters into his own hands as we read in 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 12. He offers to sacrifice himself. It's not what he's told to do. He's told to wait till seventh day. Well, apparently he waited till seventh day, but not until Samuel came. So as soon as he gets done, guess what happens? We know the story, right? Samuel shows up. He tells him in verses 13 and 14 of 1 Samuel 13, you've done foolishly. The scripture tells us that it's foolish when the Lord says wait to take matters into one's own hands. He said, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded. You see, waiting, when the Lord specifically says wait, to not wait is to not have the faith, to show that you don't have the faith to obey the Lord's commandment. Now, there's no doubt about it, before we you know, crash in too hard on King Saul, it can be very difficult, and, and we know this, when, when it seems like our world is crashing in, seems like our little world is, is coming to an end, sometimes it can be very difficult to wait upon the Lord. It can be very difficult when it seems like the enemy is winning all the battles. It seems like the enemy is just is about to overwhelm us and close in and, and everyone is, is scattering from us and all of those things like they did King Saul in that passage. It is hard sometimes to wait upon the Lord. But again, if the Lord specifically says wait, as this text shows us, the most foolish thing that we can do is to defy God's command, take matters into our own hands, and in the process effectively remove those matters out of God's infinitely more capable, knowledgeable, and powerful hands. It's in those times when God says you're going to have to wait, or wait for this, or wait for that, as we see in Scripture. It is in those times one must understand that Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in times of trouble. Now, obviously God is not going to come right out and say, hey, wait, 
But we are all put in circumstances from time to time when it doesn't seem that what we want to accomplish is getting accomplished, right? We're all put in circumstances. God allows us in circumstances from time to time where God, in effect, is saying, you're going to have to wait. And doesn't mean we don't ever take action or do anything, but we need to be careful. When God says wait, and we are convinced he's telling us to wait based on the scripture, it's then that we often need to back off and be still and know that he is God. As he says in Psalm 46, that same Psalm in verse 10. Now, the same is true in reverse. When God says don't wait, and we shouldn't wait. But we'll get there. King Saul, who had a huge weight problem, as we've just seen, interestingly enough, would be replaced by a man, David, who had no weight problem with God at all. He would be replaced by one who did not have a weight problem, one who believed, obeyed, and would actually write much. David wrote a lot about his own overwhelming problems. David had some overwhelming problems, and he wrote a lot about those problems. But one thing you'll find David saying again and again and again and again and again is that he would wait for the Lord. He's just the opposite of King Saul. For example, turn to me to Psalm 25, would you please? For those of you that are taking notes, we're going to take a lot of notes here real quick. But we'll begin with Psalm 25 and actually turn to that one. Psalm 25 should be very familiar to us because it's a song we sing. We sing it at Bible camp and we often sing it in youth groups and those sorts of things, get-togethers. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Psalm 25. This will be easy to remember when we get to the waiting part because, as I say, we sing the song quite often. Hopefully, every time you sing that song from now on, you'll remember that David didn't have a weight problem. But anyway, here we go. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 6. 1 through 5, even. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. See, David said, I trust you, God. He, he's showing his faith. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. David says in that verse, let no one who waits on you, be, you've got to wait on the Lord. He goes on to say, show me your ways, O Lord, verse 4, teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I, here it comes again, wait all the day. David was blessed by God because he didn't have a weight problem. We go on in verses 16 through 25 of this same Psalm to read the following. Turn yourself to me, David says in Psalm 25, 16. Have mercy on me for I am desolate and afflicted. David didn't have the, just, you know, this, this entirely peaceful existence. David had problems. He had afflictions, he had enemies, he had all kinds of things going on in his life. He said, I'm desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Right there in just those two verses, we have desolate, afflicted, troubles, and distresses. He says in verse 18, look on my affliction and my pain. David was having it rough. It wasn't as if David didn't have a rough time. But even in the midst of that, he says, and forgive all my sins. He says, consider my enemies. They are many. They hate me with a cruel hatred. David had enemies who despised him. But he says, in the midst of all that, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. 
Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Even in the midst of all of those, David said, I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to wait on God. You know, David would again and again say in the Psalms the same sort of thing. It was something that he would go over and over again. And I'm going to give you the list and just read them to you. And the reason I read them to you and give you a list, I want you to think about what it can mean in your life. I want you to know the peace that David experienced because he waited on the Lord. I want you to see some of the benefits that he mentions of waiting on the Lord. They're beautiful benefits. They're awesome. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful promise? You need your heart strengthened? David said, here's how you do it. Psalm 37 and verse 7, rest. Boy, we all need some spiritual rest now and then, don't we? Just life gets so hard. He says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. He said, don't, don't let that get you. Rest in the Lord. The Lord's got this. You wait on the Lord. It, it, you can find rest there and peace there. Verse 34 of that same Psalm, Psalm 37 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. Again, God's got this and he'll prove it to you. Wait on the Lord. David said in Psalm 39 in verse 7, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. David said, that's what I'm waiting for. It's a rhetorical question. What do I wait for? What is my, my, my life purpose? What am I waiting for here with everything I'm doing? My hope is in you. One of the other beautiful benefits of waiting on the Lord is in Psalm 52 in verse 9. He says, I will praise you forever. Wait a minute, David. I thought you had trials, afflictions, pain, and suffering. Oh, yeah. I do. I'm going to praise God forever. Why? Because I'm going to wait on God. God's got this. I don't have to deal with this. God's got it. I'm going to wait on God. Is the implication. Let me read the psalm instead, okay? Psalm 52, verse 9. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. In the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name. You waiting on God this morning? You can have peace this morning and rest knowing that God's got it, whatever it is. Waiting on the Lord. If it's out of your control, you can't handle it. You can't fix it. Understand he can. He's got it. Wait on the Lord. That is why we praise him in the presence of the saints this morning. In Psalm 59, in verse 9, David said, I will wait for you, O you his strength, for God is my defense. You ever been in trouble? You ever needed a good defense? Maybe even a good defense lawyer, who knows? David says, God's my defense. Let's see you beat that one. David said, I'll wait for God. God is my defense. My defense will answer. My defense will stand. And he had peace in that. Psalm 62, verse 5. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. Where is your expectation from? Whatever problem that you're experiencing in your life that's bigger than you are this morning, what are you, where does your expectation come from that it's going to be resolved? If it's bigger than you and bigger than your ability to fix, 
A lot of our problems are. Where's your expectation from? If it's from God, which it should be, which it better be, wait for him. Because as powerful as God is to handle your problem, he is capable at the proper time of doing so. There's a number of other divinely inspired writers who would reinforce the same truth about how beautiful it is not to have a weight problem before the Lord. Psalm 130 in verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. Is that where your hope is this morning? It's in the word of God? Wait for it. That phrase we often hear, wait for it, wait for it. Yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about. Proverbs 20 in verse 22 says, do not say I will recompense or repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Don't pay back somebody evil for evil. We read that in Romans 12. He said, I'm not going to recompense evil. I'm going to wait for the Lord to deal with it. Don't pay it back. It ain't worth it. Get you in more trouble than it's worth. And of course, we all know Psalm 40 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Beautiful promise, but it's only for those who don't have a weight problem. Those who, that is, will wait patiently upon the Lord. Turn to me in your Bibles to Lamentations. Lamentations, right after Jeremiah. He's lamenting that which has happened in his beloved Jerusalem. He's lamenting the destruction as he looks out on the rubble of that city. But even in the midst of that destruction, that rubble, Look what he says in Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 22, which echoes another song that we sing. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Yeah, we sing that, but look at the next verse. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Seek him. Let him handle it. Because you see, the bottom line is that our faith is tested. Our faith is tested and proven and strengthened and rewarded. That's, that is so important. It's rewarded when we obey his commands no matter what, not taking matters into our own hands when they should be left in his. We need to pray for the wisdom to discern between those things. Now, having said that, in the physical world, we have more than one kind of weight problem, okay? For some of us, it's a little hard to understand, <clears throat> but for some of us, they struggle to put on weight. Now, for some of us, that's not the issue. You see, there's the weight problem of having too much, W-E-I-G-H-T, weight, and then there's a the problem that some have, they can't put on enough W-E-I-G-H-T. Their weight problems are opposites. My understanding that, that Dylan, going into training, almost didn't get in because he was three pounds underweight and he had to struggle. I, I wish I had had just once in my life to struggle to put on three pounds. 
That's not a problem I've ever enjoyed having, but, but anyway, he did. But, but my point again, and I use that for an illustration, there's different kinds of weight problems. Well, in the spiritual world, that's true too. Because just as our faith is tested and proven and strengthened and rewarded when we obey God's command to wait, when he indicates we must, our faith is just as much tested and proven and strengthened and rewarded when we obey his command not to wait when he says not to. Same thing, opposites. Our faith is strengthened and rewarded when we obey his command not to wait when he says not to. We'd note this biblical truth from places like Exodus 14 and Numbers 13. We know the story again, I told you they were familiar stories, but in Exodus chapter 14, the people have their backs up against the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh and his army of 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them and they're bearing down God's people. There's nowhere to run. There's no place to hide. Their backs are up against the sea. You know what? Peers, that maybe even Moses, thought it was time to stand still and wait. And God said, no, this is not the time to wait. <laughs> now you got to go. Look at this. Notice this. Turn with me there. Go ahead. Exodus 14. Look at verses 13 and 14. Just those two. Again, it's familiar. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. Notice that, wait, stand still, don't move. See the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you seem today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, you shall hold your peace. Wait and watch this. Now granted, they did need to watch this, but the point was they couldn't stand there and wait forever. We know that from verse 15, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. You see, it was time for them not to wait. I am pretty much convinced, in my own opinion, just my opinion, it's all it is, but in my opinion, if they'd stood there when God said to go, if they'd stood there on the sea and stood still and waited when God said, don't wait, go. I think they'd have been annihilated. Number one, because they would have disobeyed God. When God says, don't wait, don't wait. And that will be rewarded. It was for them. That's what happens when we walk by faith and refuse to have a wait problem with God. In Numbers chapter 13, the story is just the opposite. Again, familiar story. The, the, the spies are sent into the quote unquote promised land back with this bad story and they say no we can't take them they're too big etc cetera, etc cetera. what did God want them to do God wanted them to go forward and take the land Joshua and Caleb said hey we can do this God's with us right what do people want to do when God said don't wait go the people said oh no no they're too big for us we're gonna we're gonna stop stand still we're gonna wait what happened we know what happened to the adults don't we they never entered the promised land why because when God said, don't wait, in effect, they, in effect, said, oh, we're going to wait. We're not going to move. We're not going to go. We're not going to do it. We can't do it. You know, these same kinds of weight problems and the blessings that come to those 
who keep God's commandments when it comes to waiting are seen in the New Testament as well. Turn to me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, look at the first five verses. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Luke writes, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and wait. Now, Consider with me for a moment. Sometimes we just read right over that and get down to verse 8 and go into Acts 2 and all. Freeze frame for a minute here. He told them to go back to Jerusalem. What had just happened in Jerusalem? Jesus had been crucified not too many weeks prior to that in Jerusalem. The governing authorities and the Romans, the Jews, probably still all up in arms, well, we know they were when we get to Acts 4 and 5. So he says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. You know, it must have gotten difficult as the days dragged by. We can look back and we can say, well, it was only about 10 days in the Holy Spirit. They didn't know that. Can you imagine sitting there the first day and saying, well, he told us to come back and here we are. And, you know, it's been 24 hours and, you know, but it's okay. Well, tomorrow's a new day. Get tomorrow, nothing happens. Drags in about the third day. Would you have gotten restless? If Jesus said, you go back there and wait, about the third day, fourth day, maybe sixth day, it's like, he did say that, right? <laughs> did you hear the same thing I did? And the authorities are, are getting all wound up and, and we know what happened to Jesus and as the days dragged on, the hostilities and the upheaval there in Jerusalem, do you suppose those disciples were ever tempted during that 10 or so days to just say, wait a minute, we, we, let's, let's, let's reconsider and leave? You suppose they were ever at least tempted to say, this ain't gonna happen? <laughs> Can you imagine somebody saying to Peter, um, why don't we just cash it in and all leave? You know how Peter was, right? But it still must have been hard to wait. The authorities empowered by their bloodlust victory over Jesus, or so it seemed. Scribes and the Pharisees' hostility, all of Jerusalem in general. But their faith was tested. Their faith was proven, and their faith was rewarded. That's the thing. As a result of their wait, what happened in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit came, miraculous form, empowered them. They're waiting, brethren. When God says wait and we obey his commands, God rewards it. Does God reward even a cup of water? Well, then when you wait, when God puts you in a position where you have to wait, for him. Sometimes we pray to God and we say, well, God's not answering our prayers. Sometimes God says, wait. We need to have the faith in him to understand that he will reward it. He will take care of it. He's God. He always rewards waiting. How many of you have heard of the Roman soldier of Pompeii and the excavation and all that? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you've heard about this. Nobody? Okay. In 79 BC, 
there was a great volcano that destroyed the city of Pompeii, and I believe Herculaneus was the other one right there on the coast. And these were Roman provinces, and excavations have revealed a Roman soldier called the Roman sentry. You can look this up on the internet. Roman sentry, a Roman soldier of Pompeii. And he's a Roman soldier in full, full garb and gear that apparently stood his post. This is what most believe, stood his post. He's right there in full armor, everything standing right there by the doorway. As, as that volcano and all that ash as, as must have seemed like Armageddon, it, what most people call Armageddon. I realize that Armageddon's just a field. But what most people consider is this fiery end of the world type of stuff. I mean, the volcanoes exploded. It destroyed those cities. People were, were, were instantly incinerated. I mean, it was a horrible thing. But he stood his post. Brethren, we need to be like that sentry when the whole world is blowing up, when the fire's coming. We need to stand. If God said wait, we need to be faithful and wait for God to deal with it. We need to stand our ground and be faithful and wait upon the Lord. New Testament Christians display that they do not have a weight problem when it comes to the Lord and his promises, not only by simply waiting. Oh, I love this part. Let me say that again. New Testament Christians prove that they do not have a weight, W-A-I-T, problem with the Lord, not only by just simply waiting, but by eagerly waiting. Are you eagerly waiting the Lord's return? Eagerly. You anticipating it? should drive every one of us every day, eager. Do you know how many times the New Testament uses the word eagerly in front of waiting for the Lord? I think I realized this till I started studying for this lesson, but that occurs over and over and over again. Turn to me to Romans 8, eagerly waiting for the Lord. Romans 8. Look at verses 23 through 25. Romans 8, 23 through 25. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting, there it is, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Paul says, we're, we're, we know we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body. We're eagerly waiting for heaven. We're eagerly waiting for the Lord's return. For we were saved in this hope. That's the hope that we have, is that we're going to heaven, right? That's the hope we're here for. There's one Lord, one faith, there's one hope. That's our hope, that we're going to heaven. He said, that's the hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We eagerly wait for it. Brethren, we should be eagerly waiting for Jesus Christ. And Paul isn't the only one there in Romans 8 that says this. He also says it again in Galatians 5.5. He says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness through faith. Every day we should get up eager to see Jesus Christ returning. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Notice to who it is. Those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Won't it be wonderful to get to heaven? Won't it be wonderful to see the Lord as he is. We talked this morning 
Kurt talked this morning about how he left the glories of heaven. He left the glories of heaven and came here so we could leave here and experience the glories of heaven. There's a sermon in there somewhere, but we'll preach that later, maybe. But I want you to just, just understand we need to be eager to see him, eager to go to heaven. And I've said this so many times, but it gives me hope. We sing about it, about how beautiful heaven must be, but there'll be no, there'll be no nursing homes, there'll be no funeral homes, there'll be no hospitals, there'll be no health care system. We won't need one. There won't even be any of these because the scripture says he's going to dry every tear from our eyes, doesn't he? Doesn't it? No Kleenex! Wow! So we should eagerly wait for this second time that he'll come apart from sin for salvation, Hebrews 9, 28. For, as Paul writes in Philippians 3, 20, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over again, eagerly wait. However, just like in the Old Testament, some New Testament Christians have a wait problem. Not so much they have a problem with waiting when God says they have to, but with their stalling and insisting on waiting when the Lord says they are not to. Converse, they have a problem with. We saw it in the Old Testament. We need to avoid their mistakes. One of the biggest areas in which many New Testament Christians have a definite wait problem. They want to wait and stall and procrastinate. When God says go, is when it comes to Great Commission. When it comes to going and telling others about Jesus. Did God say go? And, and what do we do? We wait, hesitate, procrastinate, vacillate. And I'm going to be real blunt on a couple of these things. You know, the lost ain't getting any younger. Did you know that? We ain't getting any younger. We say, well, I just don't know as I'm ready. Hey, you're as young today as you're ever going to be. Did you know that? You're never going to be younger than you are today. You're never going to be younger. A lot of our congregations today are graying congregations. I know of a congregation that at one point averaged 99 in attendance for a whole month. 99 for a month. We'll say just under 100 because it was 99. Just under 100. And they were told at the time, now's the time, now's the time. You've got the resources, the bodies, the people. Now's the time to evangelize. Well, they didn't do a lot of evangelization, evangelization, evangelizing. They didn't put those resources to work. About 10 years later, their attendance had dropped to an average of 30. Brethren, we need to stop waiting. Satan is not slowing down. 
Satan is not showing any hesitation to drag off lost souls deeper and deeper into sin every day. You think he's stalling, saying, well, maybe I'll wait for those Christians show up on the spot. Maybe I won't drag this person any further into sin. That's not the way he works. He's not hesitating. And who knows, today, this week, may be the only day you have to reach them, because tomorrow may be too late. They may not be here. You may not either. Then there's other weight problems. That New it's not just evangelism. There's other weight problems that New Testament Christians sometimes have. When God says, in effect, go do this, they say, no, I, 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 yeah, no, not, not today, Lord. No, no, no. Other areas that comes into play? Some Christians have a weight problem with forgiveness. They know all the texts on it. They know what the Bible says. They know if they don't forgive from the heart that God's not going to forgive them, but yet still they wait. They hesitate. They procrastinate. Speaking of forgiveness, that brings us to maybe one of the most fatal weight problems that people have today. One of the biggest weight problems that people in the New Testament, or at least one I can think of, I'm sure there were a lot more, had, and that we have today, has to do with forgiveness, but it has to do with being forgiven. It's fatal. Acts chapter 26, would you turn there please? Even if you know the story, in Acts chapter 26, we have a king with a weight problem, not a W-E-I-G-H-T, but again a W-A-I-T problem. King Agrippa, before whom the Apostle Paul preached, had a huge weight problem. It was more than likely fatal. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you would notice Acts chapter 26 and verse 3, you would find out that King Agrippa was an expert in all the customs and questions which had to do with the Jews. He knew all about their religion, their customs, questions. He was very, very, very familiar with Jewish religion, okay? Like somebody today that's familiar with the Bible and those sorts of things. We move down to verses 26 and 7, we would notice that he not only knew, but he also actually believed all that the prophets had written about Jesus as well as what Paul said about the Messiah. We see this in verses 26 and 7. He believed what Paul had said. He believed the prophets. Some of you sitting here today, you believe the Bible. You know what it says. But like King Agrippa, Continue to wait. King Agrippa, as far as we know from the scriptures, will not be in heaven with the saints. Why? Because he had a deadly weight problem. Look at verses 28 through the first part of verse 31. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, King stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with him, and they went outside. King Agrippa almost become a Christian. Contrast that weight with the case of the man who had just preached to him. Consider the man Paul, the Apostle Paul, who had just preached to him. The man Paul who had ridded himself of his weight problem as if his life depended on it because his life did depend on it. 
Consider Paul, the man who previously lost all the W-E-I-G-H-T, all the weight of his worst and most crushing sins all at once, as well as all the guilt that went along with all the sins that he had committed because he didn't wait. Look what he did in Acts 22:16 when he was told what he needed to do. Unlike King Agrippa who had a weight problem, Paul didn't have one. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, he's told by Ananias, now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And we know that he got up and immediately it says in the book of Acts, he was baptized. He went away and he was baptized and, and immediately he took some food. As we read Acts 22 and verse 16, let's read it one more time. Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. It, I want us to think about some essential eternal life and death questions that go along with that particular text by any in this room this morning or listening to us on the live stream who might have put off, delayed, waited, not been baptized yet. Few questions. As Paul sits here in Acts 22, 16, did Paul know about himself at this point? Did Paul know who he was? Yeah, Paul knew he was a sinner. He spent three days without food or drink, Acts 9, 9, praying. The Lord had spoken to him on the road to Damascus. He knew he was a sinner. That's what he knew. He knew he was wrong in God's eyes. What did he know about Jesus at this point, Acts 22? Well, he knew quite a bit. He knew what those people did on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 were baptized. What did they know? They knew they were sinners and they knew Jesus' blood could cleanse them of their sins and make them right with God. They knew that. So did he. So what did Paul do with the two things he knew? He rose and was baptized. Acts 9 and verse 18. Like a desperately drowning man in a sea of sharks who is thrown, a life preserver, he got up and was baptized. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that he had done wrong in the eyes of God. He knew that only the blood could cleanse him and God's instruction was to contact the blood. He needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins or to have his sins washed away. And he didn't wait. All he needed to know. And he got up and did it. Now, would Paul, Saul of Tarsus, would he have a lot to learn after his baptism? Would he have a lot to learn? Oh boy, he have a lot to learn. But that would come after his main problem was getting that sin problem taken care of. He didn't need to know all about, all about uh, qualifications for elders or this or that or, or all of the other stuff that Paul, he didn't need to know. He needed to know he was a sinner and that Jesus could forgive his sins and renew his relationship with God. And he didn't wait. So, what about you this morning if you've never been baptized? Number one, do you understand, do you know that you're not perfect? Do you know that you've done something in your life that God didn't want you to do? 
anything. One sin separates you from God. Number one, do you know you sinned? Number two, do you understand that Jesus is the answer, that his blood will cleanse that sin and restore your relationship with God? And the question for you is, what are you going to do with the two things you know? Are you going to continue to put your health and well-being, spiritually speaking, at risk, expanding your spiritual weight problem even further into the future? You know, some people that know they need to get rid of their weight problem, they just keep on, keep on, keep on, and they keep on adding weight and more weight and all kinds of weight, knowing that they have heart problems and that it's going to kill them the more they put on, but they, just, they continue to, to exacerbate their weight problem. If you know what you need to do and you know that Jesus can, can cleanse that sin and that you're a sinner, don't exacerbate your weight problem, W-A-I-T. Are you going to continue? to tell God, who has said, arise and be baptized, no, I think I'll wait. Are you really wanting to do that? Or are you ready to stop waiting, start walking by faith, shedding the weight of your sins, the way that scripture says that is accomplished? Maybe you're somebody here this morning who's gotten rid of your weight problem when it comes to baptism. You know some people after they go on a diet and they lose a certain amount of weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, time goes by, life goes on, food looks good and they begin to put it back on. Now I don't know if any of y'all have ever been there, by some of the smiles I'm seeing probably have been there, done that more than once. Recently even, but that's a different story. Sometimes when we put aside our WAIT problem and we arise and we're baptized the way we should, as time goes by, we develop a further WAIT problem. We begin to wait in other areas, such as we know there's somebody we need to reach out to with the gospel, but we wait. We know there's somebody we need to forgive, but we wait. We know that there's something God wants us to do to make something right somewhere along the line, but we wait. You see, we got rid of our initial weight problem with baptism, but we've begun to have other weight problem. You remember what Hebrews 3.15 says? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. If you've never been baptized into Christ and you know that you have sinned and you know that Jesus Christ's blood will cover your sins when you're baptized the way scripture says, then you know about as much as they knew in the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 when 3,000 were baptized. The rest of that learning will come later, but you need to be willing to repent, turn to God, get your sins washed away his way, be born again of the water and the spirit. If you have not done that, you've got a weight problem if you continue to wait. If you know you need to reach out with the gospel more, but you don't have the strength to. If you know that there's some situation that you need to make right, but you're still waiting, then listen to me, please, and we will close. Please listen. If you're any one of those three people, please do not let Satan come along this morning and snatch away the seeds of scripture that have been sown in your heart and your mind by this lesson. Don't let Satan come along like in the parable of the sower and snatch up what you've heard. 
Don't let God's words fall on deaf ears or a hardened heart. Don't wait any longer if you need to obey the Lord in one of these ways. If you know what you need to do, don't have a weight problem. Get rid of that deadly weight problem right now by coming forward to be baptized or to have the prayers of the church so that you don't wait anymore to do whatever it is the Lord has told you to go and do. Brethren, it is time to stop waiting because a weight problem can kill you. You want to shed it? Come to the front as we stand and sing.